Well, thank you ever so much, Ben, for your lovely warm welcome. And what a joy it is to be back with you. I don't feel it's a year since I was here last. Mind you, looking at some of you, I can probably uh, understand it. And you looking at me probably think, blimey, he's changed. But we're here by the grace of God, and it's lovely to join with you and to help in worship of our great God and to praise him for all that he has done and does for us. And you know, I nearly forgot that I brought along some things to talk to the young people about before we look at our main, uh, our main message. So, young people, I want you to talk to me. You've, I must admit, I admired you for what you've just been doing. If when I was your age, there is no way I dared face all a great crowd of people like this and actually say anything. So, I admire you and you've done very well. But now, somebody have a guess. What do you think I've been doing this week? Anybody like to have a guess? Yes, dear. You'll have to shout because I get ever so deaf. No, I haven't been called. Well, I have been shopping, but I do that under protest. <laughs> I tend to go with my wife, and she puts things in the basket, and I take them out, because I don't think we need them. No, well, I've been shopping, but that's not what I, my main job. Reading, yes, I've been reading the Bible, but what do you think I, my job has been doing? Mustn't take too, what do you think, dear? Praying? Well, I've been doing that. Now, I mustn't take too much time. Um, what do, you, do you know what I am? What I, what I do for a living? Do you know what I do? What am I? I'm a, what am I? I'm a farmer. Yeah, one of those poor old farmers. And you know, this week we've been busy harvesting potatoes. And as I was involved in potato harvest, I had a lot of time to think, because I've been driving a tractor and trying to concentrate on my work, but I've also been thinking. And you know, I came to the conclusion that potatoes are a lot like human beings. Now, does that sound a funny thing to say? Now, why did I say that? Well, I've got to be careful because, you know, there are all sorts of potatoes. There are... What there? Can I help you? No, that's all right. Thank you. There are... Where are... What have we got here? There are red ones and pink ones. There are brown ones and white ones. There are little ones and there are big ones. I was going to say there are bright ones and dull ones, but I hope we've got no dull ones here this morning. And you know, sometimes there are funny-shaped ones. Now, have you ever seen a potato like that? 
And you know, sometimes there are some very funny-shaped people, aren't there? But I'm not looking at anybody here this morning, of course. But you know, potatoes have all sorts of different purposes as well. And now, can you think of some of the things that we do with potatoes? Some of the way, what, what we eat. Now, please shout at me because I'm ever so deaf. What are some of the things that we do? Yes, dear. What? Chips. Chips, yes, we have chips. We have... We have mashed potatoes, yes, thank you. You, you help me here. Yeah? We have chips, we have mashed potatoes. What else do we have? We have what? Well, we, well, some, some people eat the peelings, yes, we have peelings, but we mustn't take out too much time. We have baked potatoes, we have sauteed potatoes. Do you know what sauteed potatoes are? What else do you, can. What well, are We have what? Sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. Well, sweet potatoes, sweet pudding. Yeah. We have all sorts of different potatoes, and they, you, they're for different purposes. And just as we have all sorts of different gifts, and we're going to read um, uh, Romans chapter 12 in a, in a few moments, and that, it, that tells us we've all got different gifts, and we've got different purposes, and God wants to use us in different ways. But now listen. One of the things nobody has mentioned so far is these. What are these? Yeah, they're crisps, aren't they? Hands up who likes crisps. Oh dear. <laughs> well, yeah, now let me tell you something. There's got to be a process whereby this becomes this. Now, some clever person tell me, what is the first thing that's got to be done before this can become this? You have to wash it. Good boy. That's exactly that. You see the difference between that one and this one. Because that one has been washed. That is the first thing. And then it's got to be processed and eventually it becomes a crisp. But you know, I have a terrible aversion to buying crisps. Do you know why? Now we've got have somebody with some real brain power now. This, this bag of crisps weighs 25 grams. 25 grams and it cost me approximately, or a bag like this, cost me approximately one pound. Now think carefully. So how much does a hundred grams cost? Well done, four pounds. Now keep going. So how much does a kilogram cost? 
How many grams in a kilogram? Grams in a kilogram? Come on, chop, chop. Oh dear, I didn't come. How many? A thousand. So if a hundred grams cost four pounds, how much does a thousand grams cost? That's easy. Forty pounds. Now how many kilograms are there in a ton? You know, that's easy, isn't it? A thousand. So if one kilogram costs 40 pounds, how much does a ton cost? Nearly, not too many noughts. 40,000 pounds. So my potatoes that I sell for about 200 pounds a ton Walkers, or whoever they are, sells for £40,000 a ton. Now, who do you think's making the money? <laughs> but no, there's a serious point about this, young people and older people too. What's happened is something incredible. A change has taken place in the value of that potato to this one. And you know, that's exactly what happens when a person becomes a Christian. Now, do you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, and I think I'm right in saying it's chapter 12 and verse 7, if I haven't got my notes, but I'm sure that's right, let me just, let me just make sure that I've told you right. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. And that's God's process with us. First of all, to become a Christian, we have to be washed Lots of old, lovely old hymns that I used to sing when I was a boy. One of them, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's picturesque language, but it means that God is enabled to wash us because of the Lord Jesus and his death upon the cross. David, the psalmist, in Psalm 51, you remember, said, Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We need to be washed. And then, sanctified, what does that mean? It means a process whereby we be eventually become fit for God's kingdom. It's an ongoing process, like the potato becoming a chip, and then justified means that we are fit for God and his heavenly home. You see what I mean? How interesting, isn't it? Potatoes, just like us in many ways. Anyway, that isn't even sermon time. I'm ever so sorry, folks. You've got another bit to come a little bit later. But, you know, I think we ought to read now. What have I done with my Bible? Or, no, no, no. The, I've got to read from... 
Yes, we're reading from Romans chapter 12. And I've chosen this portion because of uh, the way the Apostle Paul puts it exactly as what we're going to say in a moment or two. So let's hear the word of God. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil, cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
tremendous list of requirements that God has for his people. Now, before we sing, and or before we look at God's word, let me just have a word of prayer. Father, we are absolutely amazed that ever you could set your love upon us in the first place, that ever you could want us to be your children. And we're amazed at that incredible process whereby as we come to you in penitence and faith, you're willing to wash us and to process us so that eventually we are fit for your kingdom. And what a glorious thought and what a change. And instead of being fit for nothing almost, as it were, when we are unregenerate, when we don't know you yet, when we become part of your family, we become so, so precious. And why? Because we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And we have that lovely little uh, message that you give to us. They shall be mine, says the Lord, in that day when I make up my jewels. Oh, how privileged we are if we know the Lord Jesus as our Saviour, if we know the joy of sins forgiven, if we're part of your family. And, oh, Father, we're here this morning to praise and thank you, not only for your gifts of providence, and we've so much to be grateful for in that respect, because you've given us so much to enjoy, and we're so grateful and acknowledge again that every good and perfect gift we enjoy comes from you. But, oh, Father, we thank you again for your love to us in Jesus and all that that means. And, Father, as we spend a few moments looking at your word and being challenged by it, will you please help us to listen carefully, listen thoughtfully, and may we not only be hearers of your word, but do as also. And Lord, we do ask these things in our Saviour's precious name. Amen. And so before we just look at God's word, we're going to sing once more. It's 106 in the hymn book, but it's a famous hymn that we know so well, I'm sure. And the first 12 verses are indeed known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. And then in verse 13, the Saviour says this, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt have lost its savour, and I'm quoting from the old, uh, the old uh, authorised version, if the salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? 
It's henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. And I believe the Lord has laid this little verse on my heart to present a challenge. He challenged me. I can tell you that. And I want to share that challenge with you, dear friends, this morning. You are the salt of the earth. Now, those of you who know me and have heard me before will know that I like headings. And I like alliterative headings. So I'm going to do a PS job this morning. Listen carefully and try and remember. When we have lunch, I may, I may test some of you and see how well you've listened or taken in. First of all, let me tell you what we're going to think about. I'm afraid there are seven little PSs, but they're going to be quick. Shan't take up too much time. There's the people specified. There's the product stated. There's the place signified. There's the possibility suggested. There's the plethora that sours. There's the practical submission and the power that supports. Could lummy me. Well, I don't know whether you're used to seven-point sermons, but we'll go through them. But it is so vitally important that we grasp what the Saviour is saying in this one little verse. You say, I never knew there was so much in one verse. It's an amazing book, this is, you know. You know why? Because it's not man's work, it's God's. So first of all then, very quickly, the people specified. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? All through those first verses, the Saviour is saying, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. And then all of a sudden he says, you, you. He's looking at his disciples. And almost I can imagine him sitting there with them on that hillside and pointing to them. You are the salt of the earth. Who are these people? Who are these people specified? They are the followers of Christ. They are his close companions. So that begs the question, first and foremost, and I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be blunt, it begs the question, are we all here this morning included in that number? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a lover of the Lord Jesus? Do you know what it means to ask for forgiveness and cleansing? Are you part of God's family. Well, I'm not asking you if you're part of the congregation because you obviously are. And there can so often be a difference. If there's a question mark, let me quote you the words of the Lord Jesus. Come unto me. Come unto me, he says. What a lovely invitation that is. Or even the last 
almost the last word in this book. Listen. The spirit and the bride say come. And let him that he is say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. That's the invitation that God presents to any who as yet are not part of his family, not part of the you in my text this morning. Friend, if you're not, think about it. Think ever so carefully because there's so many privileges in being part of God's family. So then, first of all, the people specified. Secondly, the product stated. Salt. Now, I'm sure we know something of the properties of salt. Do you know I can remember as a boy, we used to kill a pig at Christmas time. And my word, wasn't it a size of a pig? For those of you who know anything about pigs, it was a 20-score pig. Does that mean anything to anybody? No, all the blank faces. It means it weighed about 400 pounds. It was huge. And we had a half of it. And we had no freezers in those days, no fridges. So how did we preserve it? And I can see my mother now. She had a big old tin bath and she used to soak the meat in salt water and empty it out, soak it again. And that salt acted as a preservative. And you know, it was then put in a muslin bag and hung up in the kitchen. And you know, I can still today, I can see those old flies buzzing around, you know, thousands of them. But that's another story. A preservative. Do you know, I believe as Christians, that's one of the ways in which we should act. You say, well, how do you do that? Do you know, way back in the book of Genesis, there's a story about God's servant Abraham. And God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the city of Sodom. And what did Abraham do? He didn't look to God and say, well, jolly good riddance, they're a dreadful lot. Do you know what he did? He got down on his knees and he prayed. And he prayed something like this, Lord, if there are 50 Righteous people in this city, will you spare the city? And God said, yes, I will. And I don't know who did the counting, but they weren't 50. And you know, Abraham kept on. Lord, if there's only 45, will you spare the city? Yes, but they weren't. Lord, if there's only 40. And he went down and down and down. And God was saying to him, yes, for the sake of a few of my children, I will spare the whole wicked city. Now, isn't that fascinating? Incidentally, perhaps a point for discussion over lunch. Why did Abraham stop? He stopped instead of going all the way down. 
But that's another thing. My dear friends, I wonder sometimes, I look at our country, our land, and the wickedness that abounds, and I wonder why doesn't God come down in wrath? And is the answer because he still has a people who are pleading with him for this nation? Do you pray for this country? If you don't, you ought to, that God would have mercy upon us, raise up men who can proclaim the truths of God's word, and seek to lead us back to the times when this nation was known as the nation of the book. Yes, we have people specified, we have a product stated, and it's not only preservative, you know, it's a flavouring as well, isn't it? And you know, we ought to be a flavouring in the situations where God has placed us. Do you ever sing that lovely hymn, Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wondrous compassion and purity. Do you know that's what it ought to be? You know, a few years ago, I can remember ever so well, a lorry driver coming to our farm to pick up a load of corn. In actual fact, uh, he went round and saw Daphne. And then he came round and he saw me in the yard. He said, oh, I've just seen your mother. And uh, I don't think she was very thrilled about that. But you know what he said to me when he uh, got out the uh, cab again? He said, oh, he said, now, he said, this is, a, this is a religious farm, isn't it? I mustn't swear here. I said, it's not a religious farm. We just love the Saviour. He's my best friend, and I don't like to hear his name taken in vain. But you see, word had got round. And I think that's important, that we should be a sweet-smelling savour in the world around us. And you know, not only is salt a preservative and a flavouring, lots of other things it is, but I mustn't take up too much time. Do you know, in the Saviour's time, it was a valuable commodity. It was very expensive and very much treasured. And you know, I believe to God, his people are very much treasured. I tell you, in the church where I was brought up, or in the Baptist chapel where I was brought up, we had an old hymn book, and there are several hymns that used to refer to us as miserable worms. You know, I don't agree with that. I believe that to God we are very precious. And of course, he's mentioned in Malachi 3. Do you remember that? They shall be mine, says the Lord, in that day when I make up my miserable worms. 
No jolly fear when I make up my jewels. That's it. After all, what's a thing worth? Well, whatever anybody's willing to pay for it, isn't it? What are we worth? We were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. And let's face it, the Saviour said, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? To think that your soul, my dear friend, is worth more than the wealth of the whole world put together. Do you ever think about that? That's something, isn't it? The product stated, but I said we must hasten on. Thirdly, just very briefly, the place signified. Ye are the salt of the earth. You know, God doesn't want Christians to hide away. He doesn't want secret disciples. He doesn't want people in monasteries or nunneries. He wants people out in the world. After all, isn't that his final message? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Are we doing that? We're getting out and about if we're pos- if we're able to. The place signified. You know, there have been times, not so much lately, although I must admit, do you know, I just long for that moment when I get the upward call and the Saviour says, come on, time to come home. I just long for that at times. Daphne tells me she still needs me. I can't understand why, but you know, the Apostle Paul said that, as we were saying a little earlier. Paul said, to depart and be with Christ, well, it's far better, but, but he said, it's more needful for me to be here with you at the moment. And you know, as Christians, we need one another. Don't forget that. We're all important to one another, and we have something to contribute to each other. The place signified, the possibility suggested, if, it's a little word, but my goodness me, isn't there a lot hanging on it, if the salt have lost its savour. And you know, I believe that is possible. It's possible for our witness to become occluded, to lose the value by our behaviour, by all sorts of ways. You say, well, is that so? Think about the parable of the sower. Do you remember that good seed was sown, some of it, into stony ground? It sprung up. And then what happened? It withered away. No deepness of root. Are we grounded firm and deep? Have we got well-rooted Christianity? Oh, how important that is. Some fell among the thorns and they choked it, you know, and it's possible for our witness to be choked 
by being so concerned about the things of this life. And after all, why? And you know, you may look at me and say, well, <laughs> you look at yourself. How often are farmers moaners, grumblers, complainers? You know, we shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. I was reading the same in Matthew 7, towards the end of that lovely Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, why are you worried? Why are you worried? The flowers of the field don't worry. The Lord clothes them. Why are you worried? The sparrows don't worry. The Lord feeds them. And you're worth a whole lot more than they are. Well, that's the Suffolk version of it. It's true, isn't it? Oh, how easily we can become ineffective. The possibility suggests it. Now, this is not in here, but I've got to just put this one in. I'm sorry for the heading. The plethora that sours. Now, what on earth do I mean by that? Well, you know what a plethora is, do you? It's a superabundance. And you know, I believe there can be too much salt in anything. Dare I mention it? Sorry, dear. Do you know, my dear wife, bless her, a few weeks ago, she decided to make a quiche for Sunday evening tea or supper. And bless her, she got all the ingredients there and sure it looked absolutely lovely and then she got the salt cellar um, and it's one of these electric ones that you just press and a little bit of salt comes out the only trouble was the bottom fell out of it and the whole lot went in the instead of starting again I suppose she thought I wouldn't notice God, love me me <laughs> you can have too much of it do you know I believe it is possible to go overboard with Christian witness. You say, surely not. I remember my old pastor, Pastor George Bird at Bethesda in Ipswich, telling us of an occasion when there was a lady in his congregation who was walking down the road and she was met by a young man who'd been recently converted and he was all enthusiastic about the things of God and all desperate to witness. And this lady came towards him and he stopped her. I say, Mrs. he said, you're on your way to hell. She said, I beg your pardon, I'm on my way to a prayer meeting. You need to be, we need to be careful. You know, I had an uncle, let's call her a funny old lot, you know, one of my father's brothers. He lived in Reading, and you know, he felt it incumbent upon him to get in his car and drive round looking for people who wanted a lift somewhere. And uh, he'd quite often find somebody, he'd stop and uh, open the door, where are you going? And they'd say, oh yes, I'm on my way there. And they'd get in and shut the door and off he'd drive. And he said, once they were in, he said, they couldn't get out. And he said, I didn't half hammer the gospel at them. Now, you know, I don't think that's right. 
the scripture says we've got to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And on another occasion, the scripture tells me, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Is that how we try and witness? I believe we should. A plethora that sours. That is a possibility. There's a practical submission too. Cast out. What a solemn thought, isn't it? be cast out, no longer useful in the Master's service. I have to say, you know, despite my, I know Daphne will shout, despite the fact I'm nearly 80, you know, I'm still called upon occasionally by my son, with whom I farm, Dad, could you just give us a hand here? And I laboriously climb into a tractor. As I say, we've been doing that this week, harvesting spuds. And you know, on the way back the other morning, I thought to myself, isn't it nice to be needed? Isn't it a privilege to actually be needed? And I think that is true in all walks of life. And certainly it's a privilege to be needed in God's service. What a shame if God says, you're no longer any use to me. Oh, I don't believe we shall lose our salvation. But it's the old story that Paul speaks about when we get up and stand before God. Is it wood, hay, stubble, or is it gold, silver, precious stones. Solemn thought, isn't it? But then finally, finally, my thought as I came to the end of this verse, how on earth can we make sure that we never lose our testimony? How on earth can we make sure that we are always fit for God's service. And you know, as I was thinking about that, I was in the kitchen, and would you believe, I I looked at that. And you know what that reminded me of? The text in Scripture, and Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the power may be of him and not of us. How can we continue? How can we maintain our witness? The power that supports. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit's enabling. So how does that happen? Let me just quote a final verse. One of my favorite verses from Isaiah. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I don't believe that applies physically, 
because otherwise I'd be trotting up and down here like a two-year-old, and I can't. But I believe it applies mentally and spiritually. As we spend time with God, what's the old hymn writer say? Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always. And feed on his word. And I believe that's the secret to maintaining that saltiness that God expects of us. How salty are you? How salty am I? God keep us fresh and useful in his service. And if we've never started, my Bible tells me now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. What a glorious gospel we have. What a wonderful God we have. I hope that this God is your God.